Aren't Christians weird? Do you not think so? Turn around, look, have a look around about you. Do you think Christians are weird? <laughs> I, um, I've been asked to speak. We've been doing the book of Acts in a series. And I've been asked to speak on Acts 16. And I'm going to talk about crossing the cultural divide. But I think it's good just to be honest with each other and admit Christians are a bit weird. And um, there's a good reason for that. It's because we are not of this earth. We are citizens of another kingdom. Did you know that? The Bible says that we are citizens of heaven. And heaven is a strange place. It's not like earth at all. In fact, Jesus said, pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are meant to be ambassadors of heaven who bring the reality of heaven to earth. That's why we're weird. And I want to talk about, well, we live in a culture that is probably two generations away from the Christian gospel of good news of Jesus. And um, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that more and more people are further and further away from Christian truth. Have you noticed that? But there is a hunger particularly, it's interesting, amongst younger people for something, something spiritual. But it's not just amongst younger people in the UK. Did you know that in the Muslim world there are underground revivals happening? Did you know that? I have a friend who is a missionary in Jordan, and he is seeing thousands of people become Christians, people who are Muslim background culturally and they're hearing about Jesus, and they're thinking, I want to follow this man. But a very interesting thing happened. Um, they started coming to their underground churches, and then they started leaving their underground churches. And they couldn't understand why all these people who were Muslim background culturally started leaving the church. So they started to ask some of the leaders, and there were two reasons that they were leaving the, the new Christian churches. Number one, they put their Bibles under the chair. And number two, they kept their shoes on. So I want you to look around. Who's got their shoes on? And who's got their Bible under the chair? I know you've all got them on your phones and stuff now. Is there anyone with their Bible under their chair right now? Yes. See, there's an honest soul over there. Do you have your shoes on? You do. Right. See? How weird are you? You see, in Muslim culture... When they come together to meet with God, they take their shoes off. That's a sign of respect. And as far as they're concerned, the holy scriptures are uh, to be uh, honored. So when you stick your Bible under your chair next to your shoes, you're dishonoring God. Now to us, we we don't know this. This is just like a cultural thing. We don't know it. But imagine what it's like for someone who is two generations removed from knowing about Jesus coming in to here. Do you not think they would think it's a bit weird? Maybe you're a visitor tonight. Maybe this is the first time that you've come into church. And you don't have to admit this, but I bet you think think everyone's weird. What are they doing? What's all this sort of quiet stuff and all this worship stuff and all this prayer stuff? It's just downright weird. And I think we have a challenge, particularly in Scotland. How do we make sense of the good news of Jesus to people who are far removed from our culture? How do we create relevancy for the good news of Jesus to people who have never heard it? 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Acts 16, and there's some good examples in Acts 16 of what Paul did going into a completely different culture. So if you want to look up Acts 16, and what's good is you now have permission to be weird. Okay, being weird is okay. Um, before we go to Acts 16, I want to just put something into context. In Acts 16, it follows on from Acts 15. That's not rocket science. But in Acts 15, a fascinating thing has happened. Something called the Council of Jerusalem. And what's happened is that from Acts 1 the, and Acts 2, the, the new church is born, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and thousands of people become followers of Jesus and then they start spreading this message. But that message is spread mainly amongst Jewish people. New Testament Jewish, or people in the times of the New Testament, had a particular culture. They had synagogue, which is a bit like church. They had prayer. They had scripture. They had community. Is it sounding familiar to you? They had all the kind of things that we would think of as modern day church. But something began to happen as people like Peter talked to people outside of their culture. He talked to a man called Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. How different is the culture of a Roman centurion to that of a Jewish rabbi? It's very, very different. How different is Western Christianity to the culture of Middle Eastern Muslims? It's very, very different. So we need to learn how do we communicate this message of good news in all kinds of of cultures. And in the New Testament times, the Cornelius became a Christian, a Roman centurion, and um, his whole household became Christians. And what happened was Peter went back to the Jews in Jerusalem. They're like, what are you doing? What's going on? And they had to kind of work it out. And when they got to Acts 15, there's this council of Jerusalem, and they have a discussion. What does it look like for someone who's not Jewish to be included, to belong in the kingdom of God. And so it's good to understand that when we go to Acts 16. So if you want to turn to Acts 16. And in Acts 16, it's important to understand that Paul is going into a certain geographical place. He receives a vision to to go and see a man of Macedonia, which is northern Greece. And in those cities, they were Greek cities that were basically polytheistic cities. They worshipped lots of gods. They were also... Uh, Corinth, which was one of the cities in that area, was the most godless city in the whole of the Roman Empire. It was famous for its, its uh, novel ways of committing sin. They even had a phrase in the Roman Empire. They, they, they said to Corinthianize something was to find the most godless way to do something. And yet Paul goes into that city and he finds people who are responsive to Jesus, and he plants a new church. So what I want to do tonight is basically encourage you and say to you, you might look at your culture, you might look at your friends, you might even be here tonight and think, I'm so far removed from this Jesus stuff. And yet, Jesus applies to all times, to all cultures, to all people at all times. There must be a way to experience the kingdom of God that makes sense to everybody. And I think there are skills that we can learn and some principles, which we see in Acts 16. And so I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Before we go there, there's, uh, I just want to give you a, a local example. Can I have the uh, slide? How many of you like coffee shops? 
It's okay, you are allowed to respond. Remember, you are now officially weird. Okay, so how many of you like coffee shops? Okay, and putting your hand up does not make you a charismatic. Okay, so you're all right. So, um, I just want to give you an example of how culture is different. Okay, so, when I first started to work in Central, I did what you do. I got myself a man bag. Okay, thank you very much. I got my man bag. It's over there. Leather, beaten up leather. In fact, Thomas, you need to, yeah, here we are. This is the, here's the man bag. Okay, so here's my man bag. All right. And uh, so I come into Edinburgh with my man bag. And I feel quite normal. And uh, then I live in Preston Pans in East Lothian, which is the next mining community. And I start walking around Preston Pans with my man bag. And I just don't get the same response. <laughs> now, Preston Pans is only 10 miles down the road. Let's think about coffee shops. When I first started to work for Central, people would say, let's go for coffee. That's how they speak. Let's go for coffee. That was their sort of Morningside accent. I know this great place. It's in Morningside. We'll go up there. And we went to a hipster coffee shop. Okay? So my first experience. How many of you have had a first experience of going to a hipster coffee shop? And you... You try to work out what you're supposed to do. Like, all you want is coffee with, with milk. But no, 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 no. There's a hundred things you can have, and you're not allowed milk with any of them. So I remember going into this coffee shop with my hipster friend. He had the beard and everything. And I'm like, what do you do? What do you do? Oh, my goodness. I was like, could I have coffee please and so he gave me all these options and then I said could I have milk (gasps) he would have thought I'd like said could I murder your mother could you have milk with this coffee and then then he said then that'll be like seven pounds (laughs) fifty I'm thinking I am not used to this culture now in Preston Pans we don't drink coffee we drink builder's tea Okay, any builder's tea drinkers in the room? It's okay, you can confess, it's fine. And in Preston Pans, we have two and coo. Do you know what two and coo is? Two is milk and two sugars. This is how hipster central is, okay? When I arrived to do this message this morning, when they saw the slide and saw two and coo, they thought it was meant to say cool. (laughs) That the L was missing. It's like, no, coo, it's milk. Oh, right. This is like a place that's 10 miles down the road. The culture is so different. And we need to learn to adapt to make sense. If you're a coffee shop owner, the way that you set up in one place is different to how you set up in another place. If you're a Christian in the centre of Edinburgh or in an urban or rural or in another nation or a different culture, our city is full of subcultures. We need to learn what does it take to make sense of the good news of Jesus to different kinds of people. Yeah, I was trying to be clever there. Hipster, hands on hips. Don't know if that really worked. (laughs) Okay, so let's look at Acts 16. How do we communicate Christian truth 
to a non-Christian culture. So Acts 16.1, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. So Derby and Lystra, they're part of modern-day Turkey. And here's a really interesting thing. Right away, here's a mixed culture. We have a Jewish mother and a Greek father. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I get the feeling that Timothy's mum, and you, can, you see this in the epistle to Timothy, that Timothy's mum and grandmother were like godly women, but I don't really know where the dad was. And this is actually a very common thing that I've, I've seen, is you get a lot of families where mum goes to church and the son is, a, is influenced by her prayers and by her love and becomes a Christian, but dad is a bit ambivalent. Do you recognize that? That's quite common. I think that's something that we need to tackle. I really do. And Paul is going into this mixed culture. And then you continue reading. It goes on to say, uh, Acts 16.2, The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. This is Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this, but why on earth did Paul circumcise Timothy? In Acts 15, they've just had a deep discussion about should we make non-Jews live according to the Jewish law? And under the Jewish law, you get circumcised. And what they decided was, no, they don't have to live under the Jewish law. All they have to do is abstain from blood, it says, which is why some people don't eat black pudding. True. I personally prefer storing away black pudding myself. Um, but that, that is what some people believe. But here we have Paul saying, I am going to circumcise Timothy, despite the fact that when you read the book of Romans, Paul says, if you're going to circumcise yourself, you might as well cut the whole thing off. If you don't believe me, it's in the book. So Paul feels really strongly about this. And yet, he circumcises Timothy. Why did he do that? He did it for the sake of the gospel. There are some things that we have to do for the sake of the gospel, which literally give us pain. In the case of Timothy, it gave him real pain. And even although Paul was like, you know, circumcision is Old Testament and you shouldn't do it today, he still had Timothy circumcised. There are some things that we might hold true to and dear to, to us. And yet we, it's not a compromise, you adapt in order for the sake of the gospel. And I, I have a, a friend who comes from the Bible Belt in America. And his, where he grew up in his culture, no one drinks alcohol. Well, not in public anyway. They, they do, but they, they sneak around drinking it quietly. Anyway, my friend, uh, he had never drank alcohol. And by this point, he's 50 years old. And he said to me, when I meet people and they ask me to go for a beer, I tell them I don't drink alcohol and they say, you're weird. So I want to be relevant in a Scottish culture. Now, please hear me clearly. There are reasons 
that some people don't drink alcohol and they are good reasons. But my friend had never drank alcohol because it was his culture. In Bible Belt America, people don't drink alcohol. In parts of Africa, the Christians don't drink alcohol. It's the culture. But my friend decided, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drink some alcohol once so that when I meet someone and say I want to go for a beer, I can say I've tried it and I won't seem so weird. So he went to the Malt Whiskey Society with me. (laughs) Which, in hindsight, was not the best idea. And what we did was... I had two friends who've got memberships there, and we all went together. And what you do, if you've never been, it's a nice experience, what you do is you get these little shot glasses and you try these 70% proof malt whiskies. Now my friend, because he didn't know what to do, we had these three shots and he just went like that. He went, boom, boom, boom. And he went, golly, (laughs) which is sort of Christian swearing. Uh, (laughs) And like it wasn't a great experience. It caused them some pain. But from that point on, he was able to mix with Christians, uh, Scottish people who didn't think he was weird anymore. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's things that we need to learn to do take us outside of our comfort zones, perhaps even things that we hold true to. You need to work it out. Let's keep reading. This is uh, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. This is really important. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says no. Christians often think, well, I'm meant to just go everywhere and share with everyone in every place. That's not what you see in Acts 16. What you see in Acts 16 is that sometimes God says no. God will close doors and he'll open doors. Verse 8 says, so they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. If we're going to make an impact in our city, we need to be open to the Holy Spirit. And here's the amazing thing. When you read the rest of the story, Paul goes across to Macedonia and he goes to these various towns. And in the first three towns that he goes to, he gets beaten up. In one place, he actually gets left for dead. He's stoned. I don't mean as in stoned. I mean, they threw rocks at him to kill him. Just good that you know the difference. But he heard the Holy Spirit. This means that sometimes when God tells you to do something and you go and do it and it doesn't work, you are still right. That's really, really important because when we're in a culture where we're trying to, you know, connect with different cultures, we will experience things that feel like we're getting it wrong. But actually, if we've heard the Holy Spirit, then we just keep persevering. And as the story continues, this is what you see um, 
If we go to verse 13, Paul goes to a place called Philippi. He says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. So here's a, Philippi itself was a, a, a strategic city in the Roman Empire. Paul goes there and the first thing he does is he looks for seekers. The, the lady he finds is a lady called Lydia and she's described as a seller of purple. She was a businesswoman. Uh, purple as a dye was very expensive so she was at the high end of the business world and she was a, a, a God-fearer, she's described as, just like Cornelius. It's interesting, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, is described as a God-fearer, and Lydia is described as a God-fearer. These are people who are looking for God, but they, are, they don't belong to what we belong to. And this is really key for us, for myself included. How do we help people belong who don't belong to what we belong to? It's so easy just to connect with people who are like us. But how do we connect with people who are not like us? How do we make truth make sense to people who are maybe two generations? Or maybe surrounded by quite aggressive, negative views of God and church. If you think about Paul, Paul went into a Roman colony where they worshipped all kinds of gods. You see that further on in Acts 17 with uh, Athens. He says, let me tell you about the one true God. But the people in Athens thought that Paul was mad. They thought he was arrogant. They thought he was obnoxious. Because we, as Christians, speak about one God and the true God. And we will encounter this. And so probably what Scripture suggests is try, first of all, and find people who are open. Try and find God-fearers. And in Philippi, there was no church and what I mean by that is there was no synagogue. There weren't enough Jewish people to create a synagogue, so the God-fearers, the spiritual seekers, went to places where they felt they could meet God and pray. And in the case of Lydia, this was by the river. Now, do you know people who go to places to have spiritual encounters? And it's often outside, isn't it? They go to the beach, or they go to the mountains, or they go to the forests. People walking along the canal or Portobello Beach or wherever. I think there are spiritual seekers everywhere. To be honest with you, I think the closest example of spiritual seekers to this building is the Forest Cafe across the road. I love the Forest Cafe. How many of you have been in the Forest Cafe? Quite a lot of you. That's great. It's really good beans on toast and it's not expensive. The Forest Cafe is populated by volunteers who are spiritual seekers and when you go in, they're trying to create community and they're giving away stuff for free. It's really interesting. But they don't know Jesus. And so what I think we need to do is find our Lydia's. Ask God, where is my Macedonia? Where, is the, where are the people that I'm meant to connect with? And that's what you see. It says that Paul sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And I'm going to share with you a really deep truth. If you have a pen and paper, you might want to get it out because this, this will blow you away, honestly. This, this is a, a, a secret that uh, will change your life. When you meet 
seeker, speak to them. That's it. When you meet a seeker, speak to them. I remember a man came from South Korea. His name was Joshua Paul. And in South Korea, they had a massive revival. And 50% of the population apparently have come to know Jesus. And he came and did these early morning prayer things. And he said, I'm going to do, uh, uh, I'm not going to do the accent. He said, I'm going to do the secrets of revival. And I was like, yes, the secrets of revival. I've been waiting. The secrets of revival. I want to see Scotland changed. So I drove up to Perth, and it was like a six o'clock prayer meeting. And I, So I got up at five, drove to Perth, went to this prayer meeting, and then he was like, I'm going to do the secrets of revival. Secret number one, pray. And I'm like, okay, secret number one, pray. Secret number two. Oh, sorry, I was meant to do the accent. <laughs> Secret number two. Get into small groups. I'm like, no way. I'm like, pray and get into small groups. I already know those two. Secret number three. Share the gospel. I'm like, Come on. Well, I got up at five o'clock to come here. I drove to Perth, pray, get in small groups and share the gospel. I can't even remember what the other two are. There aren't any secrets. That's the secret to revival. There are no secrets. We just have to hear from God, do what he says, find the seekers and talk to them. And that's it. It's really not complicated. Why is it difficult? Because we need to learn how to communicate in a way that makes sense to cultures not like our own. And that is the difficult bit. We need to learn how to speak the language of people that speak a different language to us. Just like if we were going to Iran or Jordan or the Far East somewhere. I have friends, Mike and Jane Fuchella, who were missionaries in Thailand. Jane's written a great book about it. And when they went there, they tried to explain that Jesus died for their sins. He died on the cross for their sins. And they used Western examples to make sense of the gospel, and it made no sense to them at all. And they had to find metaphors and illustrations that made sense to them. That's going to be true. For you and I. I just want to finish with one, one final story. One of the challenges of this is how we treat people. Most of the time we're not very good with people who are not like us. Is that true? We find people who are not like us quite difficult. And in Lighthouse, the church that I, I lead in Preston Pans, we, we set up a, a community cafe. And we started to look for volunteers. Now, I had to make a decision. What kind of volunteers will we have? Do we have to have very spiritual, holy people? Because they will be proper Christians. Or do we just include people and love them well? Now, I know it sounds really obvious when I say it, 
But that's not how we think. So there's a young girl. She's a total metal head. Do you know what a metal head is? She's into like rock music and when she arrived, she had like her hair was all blonde and everywhere and she had this dark eyelid on and she had on like a five-pointed cross, then a cross star, like an occult symbol basically. And she's like, I want to volunteer. And Kate, who leads the cafe, she's looking at me and I'm like, great. (laughs) Three weeks ago, she gave her life to Jesus. On Thursday, her granny died. Uh, Wednesday, sorry. Her granny died. And on the next day, Thursday, she came into the cafe. And, and she's a tough kid. And she came in. And I, she, and I said, come here. And the other, two other volunteers in the cafe said, we want to give you a great big hug. And we just loved her, and she just cried. See, the thing about this is that we have love. We have a God of love. Like, you might feel as if, I don't know how to do this, or I don't have the skills, I don't have the language, I don't have the training. But you do have the God of love. And I I think that's the simplest thing. What's amazing is, a little bit later, this same girl's dad, who's a motorbiker, he's not quite a biker but he he's in that kind of category he came in and he sat down and he had a cup of coffee and I said to him I'm really sorry to hear about your mum and he was you could see the the tears were welling up in his eyes and he looked up at me and he said I really appreciate that mate now his daughter is the person of peace two of her friends came in last week And they said to me, are you the priest? (laughs) I said, what made you think that? He said, you've got a shirt on. And I had like a nice shirt on. So that makes me the priest. And I said, do you know what I said to them? I said, yes, I am. Because that made sense to them. They said, are we allowed to come to your church? Why would people ask that? Because it just seems so difficult to come. Our culture seems so far removed from their culture. And I think what you see in Acts 16 is you see Paul doing the opposite. You see Paul going to and merging and incarnating himself in the culture, finding the people of peace, sharing the gospel in ways that make sense, going to the household of Lydia, and then a church is born and starts to grow. And my great desire is to see that happen across Edinburgh and to see it across Scotland. So what does that mean for you and I? Well, do you know the God of love? If you know the God of love, you can pay it forward. So my question to you would be, where is your Macedonia? Has God spoken to you and given you a dream and said, I want you to speak to these people? And if you go there and you get beaten up three times, will you keep going? There's a great phrase in in the book of Acts. uh, God says, I have many people in this city. And that is true for here.
So let, let's stand. I really hope what I've said has provoked something in you. It's so easy for us, particularly in a, in a, <clears throat> excuse me, in a bigger church, to create our own little network of friends, our own Christian culture. But there's 95% of the people out there need to know the good news of Jesus. We need 100 church plants in the city. That's what we really do. We need to see the existing churches transformed and empowered and believed in. And we need to see new things happen that make sense to people who don't go to church. We need all of those things. And I really believe that this church is a strategic church. This city is a strategic city. And God wants to do something. And the fact that you are here means that you are a strategic person. You perhaps don't believe that, but it's true. Even right now, God's starting to awaken something in you. Some of you are beginning to remember the things that God said to you before, that because you've been discouraged, you've kind of let them go to sleep. But I believe God would say to you, awaken, O sleeper. Awaken.